With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Tevis Trower. She is the founder and CEO of Balance Integration. She is a pioneer in optimizing corporate cultures. She's been heralded in Megatrends 2010 as a corporate mindfulness guru for the new millennium. Uh, she's assisted many powerful organizations, ranging from Disney to Morgan Stanley, in optimizing their most precious asset, which is human beings. So I am thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome very much, Tevis. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Mary Beth. So tell me a little bit about how you got into what you're doing today. So your work sounds incredibly interesting. Your corporate mindfulness and, and the things that you're doing, how did you get to this point in your career where you're doing this for large organizations? I love that question. And because I think for most of us, where we end up is, is kind of a life choice by life choice situation. It's always hard for me to parse out the real moment, right, that becomes the pivot. I think I was lucky because I grew up in a very unconventional family. My dad was a Montessori teacher. My mom was kind of a mystic and a seeker. And they exposed me to a lot of questions about how as humans do we experience what happens to us in life? And then how does that influence how we collaborate, how we create, how we solve problems together in collectives? And this really became a driving curiosity for me. And I had a ton of venues to watch this play out. I'm a beauty school dropout. I was a U.S. Army reservist during the Reagan years. And I landed in a business school having had all these experiences. And I started to watch as I moved into the career world, just how much how we think about our lives really influences how we experience work. And that question, how do we experience work? Why do we hate work, right? Is kind of the old, the cliche question. But that question really cast me into the world of what is the work experience and how do we make it as good as it can be, both from an intrinsic perspective, i.e., what do I bring? And then from an extrinsic perspective, what can the organization do to really optimize itself? Yeah. So, very interesting. Now, when you work with some of these large organizations, how do you take a mammoth organization that's filled with all of these people and spread this word and make this happen within an organization and help them? <laughs> that's such a, you're, you're good, Mary Beth. If nothing else, you're really good. <laughs> these mammoth organizations, thankfully, are still comprised of thoughtful, caring, impassioned human beings. People who task themselves with doing their jobs with as much conscience and diligence and discipline as they possibly can. 
And a lot of us, I think, I, I like to call ourselves, and you included, really the fire keepers, right? The people who, who are constantly pushing and prodding and saying, this is good, this is bad, what can I make better, what can I do, what can I agitate? And what's interesting is that when you engage with people of that nature, even when they work in a behemoth structure, there's always a mutual curiosity of what's really the foothold. And people call it a quote unquote pain point, right? Which just, for some reason, I think of Hannibal Lecter um, diving into someone's brain with tweezers when I hear that <laughs> phrase. So I like to really think of it as a pivot point, right? Like, what is it that we can dig into? What's the crux from a rock climber's perspective? What is the crux in the rock, right, that we can dig into and really use that to leverage ourselves up the mountain? And that's been the difference maker. It's rarely simply a policy statement. We're all inundated with these companies. At first, it was just in management circles, these companies kind of trumpeting out these amazing mission statements and on the cover of HBR and on Forbes and on Fortune and the CEO's amazing and blah, blah, blah. Well, now that companies have really acknowledged that the consumer cares what that company profile is publicly, well, they're all over social now, right? So we're all just surrounded by these enlightened companies. So it's just so confounding that the environment is not fixed, right? That everyone is not paid equally, that our boards are still underrepresented with people who are historically disenfranchised, right? All these things. But the truth of the matter is that that above and beyond all these proclamations, when in that organization you have someone who takes it to heart and says, we need to actually move in the direction that we've proclaimed mattering to us, that's where in the opportunity is when that person not only stays true to what they know to be right, but they have enough authority and leverage internally to really begin to ask some pesky questions. Right. You know, that's really, really interesting work. I know one of the things that, you know, when you look at an organization, there's people that fit in an organization and there's people that maybe either they they themselves feel they don't fit in or they come from a different place. And I know you talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome. I've done some research on something called code switching, and it's what we do at work so that we fit in, but it's not ourselves. And how do you help people with that if they feel like, hey, if people really know my real self at work, this is not going to be very good. So it's kind of like the imposter syndrome, but we're consciously changing what we're doing at work to try to fit in, but it's not us. It's not authentic. It's so great. I've never heard that called code switching. So I don't know if I'm late to the language party. Um, (laughs) Well, code switching is a little different than the imposter syndrome because the imposter syndrome is, right, I feel like I shouldn't be here. I I didn't do the right work to get here. When when people find out how not good I am, this is going to be a disaster, right? But code switching is when you know you're not going to fit in and you become somebody else at work, but you go home and you're a different person because you want to make sure that you're fitting in. It's almost like the polar opposite of, of imposter syndrome, but you're still coming at it from, I wish that I could just feel like I was being me. Absolutely. It's an elixir, right? When we feel comfortable to be ourselves, as long as we're sufficiently safe and being ourselves. What I'm curious about is the angle that you're bringing up, though, 
And that is not just amongst historically disenfranchised groups, right? But how has code switching, right? How has that fear of being authentic actually created an environment in which anyone who does not conform feels unsafe? And that's that's really become a passion point for me and a curiosity point, because I think that what is happening is in conventional wisdom circles, right, in corporate buzzword circles, everyone's talking about authenticity, everyone's talking about bringing your whole self to work, everyone's really putting out there some very aspirational ideas about how we behave in the collective. And the reality is that so many of our leaders have not done that work themselves, that even though they love the idea of it, and they're going to put it into policies and into programs and into mission statements and value statements and culture statements, the fact that they are not role modeling it themselves is going to undermine any investment and policy program or PR. So one of the things that I'm passionate about specifically in doing work in this, uh, the C-suite and high performer circles is what's your blind spot? Where are you leaving pieces of yourself at home that actually belong here and that actually are going to make this a better, more vibrant, more creative, more participatory place for everyone by virtue of you showing up as being more human. And when you start to have that question with the salt and pepper hair white guys, right, or whatever the dominant social culture is in that organization, when you start to have those conversations with those folks, a lot of times it turns out there are big pieces of themselves that have been disenfranchised along the way. And by slowly reclaiming, by slowly saying there's a satisfaction gap in what I get out of work, chances are there's a contribution gap in what I'm bringing to work. And when you start to work from that angle, a lot of times it's really simple uh ahas. And it's not scary once you frame it that way. Yeah, I, oh man, I really totally agree with what you're talking about because it does cause different things to, you know, if if you're doing something at work and you're feeling a certain way, are you the most productive that you possibly can be? And so, I mean, I think a lot of it is about engagement and the way that a corporation engages its people and the way that its management, its leadership engages its people. And how do you, I know you do work on this specifically to help with this engagement process. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the problem is that in most organizations, actually, the larger they are, the more likely this is. Um, Leadership is not engaging their people because they're not engaging themselves. Mm -hmm. They're driving performance, but they are not driving engagement. So they are outsourcing this whole engagement conversation to some probably not hugely authoritative group within the organization, telling them to solve the quote unquote problem, right? They're treating this as a problem that has to be solved as opposed to a way of behaving that has to be modeled. And we see it over and over and over again that organizations can can eke out a great place to work certification. They can eke out some good um, metrics on an engagement survey, but none of that really speaks to what is happening throughout the pulse of the organization. And when your leaders are not tasking themselves with being learners, with with 
um, being behavior changers themselves, you're not going to see things um, shift throughout the organization, period. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And everything you've talked about with the leadership, it's just like, boom, of course, of course that's happening. Leaders are about performance today, especially in organizations where that's how they're measured. And so that's what they focus on. But the reality is to be a great leader, you've got to also be able to engage your people. And interesting that that's kind of the missing link, the larger the companies are. And so what you do is you help identify this and then help the leaders add in engagement into their leadership model. Is that right? Yeah, the whole question is, like, you get a bunch of smart men and women around a table, and you present these uh, propositions of what kind of culture they want, they're all going to nod their heads, right? They would be be just uh, Neanderthals not to. Although I just heard a podcast that said that the Neanderthals were actually really smart. So we got to, <laughs> so here I'm stigmatizing Neanderthals, bad Tevis. Anyway, you'd have to be crazy to say, no, I don't want diversity or no, no, I don't want people to bring their house up. It's like it, you kind of, it's just not done. Right. But the question then becomes, what are we going to do to cast ourselves on a course of understanding what we have to align, not just in terms of policies and programs, but in terms of we, this team, what do we have to shift? Because it's not going to happen outside of this microcosm if it's not happening inside Mm. of this microcosm, right? And so what we do is help tease out what are those gaps and what you think you want to be when you grow up and what you're actually creating and manifesting for the organization right now. So we help to tease out what the gaps are. Then we help to identify So how do you close that gap? What has to be happening within the leadership team and within the leaderships themselves? Because again, you got to go back to this thing. It's got to be happening intrinsically so it can happen extrinsically. But you can approach in both. It's a bilateral thing that can be happening. So we look at what conversations have to be happening leader to leader and leader unto him or herself. And then how do you create some foment throughout the collective so that it spills out and becomes a given in what is the norm of that culture? So once you shift the conversations, then you start to actually shift what are the activations, what are, then you get into the policies and the programs. But what's really cool about it that we see is with the shifts in awareness among the leaders, a lot of times all we have to do is to support and keep things on track. Once the organization has clarity on what has to shift within the C-suite and leader by leader by leader, a lot of times the organization has this new breath, this new sense of possibility, this new sense of authenticity, and the various groups and functions and departments will rally. They will literally jump up and be like, I am in. How do I roll up my sleeves to be able to align with this? And we call this both a leadership alignment process as well as cultural empowerment. And those two things really go hand in hand. So insightful, so interesting, so valuable. And I do hear that your your dog may want to come on this podcast as well. Is this true? She is very opinionated. She's um she's officially corporate uh, security, right? She's she's who lets us know there may be some danger afoot. In this case, it's about to pour. <laughs> oh, so what? So what's her name and what kind of dog is it? 
Her name is Ruby, and I beg your pardon. It, it makes me think of that famous BBC news broadcast where a diplomat is talking yes. and his two-year-old comes in half-naked. Or Yes, exactly. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, yes. Ruby is completely naked because she's a dog. Anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I like Ruby. I, I do. <laughs> so, Well, tell the audience how they can find out more about you, about your company, your social media, your website, all of those kinds of things. They can find us at www.balanceintegration.com. On Twitter, I'm Corporate Yogi. It's Balance Integration on LinkedIn, on Instagram, as well as on Facebook. And I do a periodic series called the C-Suite Sessions, um, and they're free. Sometimes they're video and sometimes they're audio, and they're just clarity practices and motivational practices to clear your head and get you rolling for the day or week or moment. And those are something I do just out of passion. So I'm always happy to have people have access to them. Well, that is wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing your insights and being such a a person who obviously has quite a bit of passion about what you're doing and you're doing so much good in the world and for these corporations. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It has been a pleasure, Mary Beth. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.